Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This episode of the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Football Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. July is underway and it's a great month for sports. If you're into sports betting, Bet Online is where you should go to win money today. With the NBA Finals ending and Major League Baseball heading into the second half of the season, there's plenty of betting action to get involved in. If you're a football better, there's tons of futures and props you can wager on as well. Bet Online has the latest odds, news, and information for all of your online sports betting needs. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next tip-off, face-off, or pitch, head over to betonline.ag or use the mobile app and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Everybody, welcome back to the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Football Podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Bobby Lamarco, here to bring you another team previews. This week, we're doing the AFC East. On this episode, we're going to be talking about the New England Patriots and the Miami Dolphins. We got a special host on the podcast today to help us break those teams down. Before we get into all that, let's just make sure. You guys know where we're at, what you're watching, where you're going to be going for these podcasts for the next couple months because we're going through straight through the year. First off, we want to thank our partners at the Believe Network. So if you guys don't know about Believe, go check them out. You can go right on Google, Believe Podcast Network. They got 300-plus podcasts, great network. We appreciate their support. You find all our content podcasts on there as well. If you're watching currently on YouTube, watching me live in my spare room with my beautiful art in the background, this is, of course, on YouTube. Guys, make sure you're following us on here. Subscribe to our channel, but also make sure you're leaving us some views. Make sure you're leaving us some comments, leaving us some likes, and subscribe to us on YouTube at The Candlestick Kids. But also make sure you're also following us across the board. Twitter, Instagram. We also have a TikTok, believe it or not. Sky said, Bob, I don't know about this. I said, you know what, man, let's just go for it. I'm out there just throwing out little clips. Go check us out on the TCK TikTok. We're, we're getting hip. We know what the kids need. But also make sure you're following us on Twitter, at Sky Gawasco. Make sure you're following me, at Bobby Lamarco. Make sure you're following the, can, uh, the fantasy football underscore TCK pod on Instagram and myself, at Fantasy Football X Factor on Instagram. Now, Before we do anything else, I want to make sure we also reach out and talk about our sponsors. The first one I want to talk about is Red Zone Draft Boards. Listen, the best part about this season, guys, we're all getting back together. COVID is going to put it behind us, and we get back to doing in-person drafts. Now, if you're going to do that, you got to do it draftwithredzone.com. Listen, this is not just a draft board. You get a championship ring in the package with an engraved case you also get cheat sheets. So from fantasypoints.com, which is a great website, you're getting a bundled package more than it. But then it gives you an awesome draft board. You got a deep league. They have over 200 spots. They have 400 stickers. You got to go check out Red Zone Draft Boards. And the best part, too, is in the month of July, you get it for cheap, 77 bucks. And on top of that, if you use the code TCK, you get 10% off. So if you plan on doing your drafts in person this year, make sure you do it with draftwithredzone.com and use the TCK promo code to get 10% off. Now, without further ado, I want to introduce our my co-host today and part of the Commiss crew, Josh. How's it going, man? 
And it's going well. Good to be here, Bobby. We've had a lot of kind of off-air discussions, just hearing about one another, chatting about one another, but never actually chatting to one another. So it's nice to meet you. You know, Sky and I, we know each other pretty well at this point. We've done some projects and and talked, but it's nice to meet Bobby. You know, uh, one of the integral parts of the TCK pod that uh, I really haven't connected with. So tonight's going to be a lot of fun, you know, figuring out our dynamic and just having a good time here tonight. Dude, and the best thing is I love that we got Josh on today because Josh is a Pats fan, and we're talking about his team, so I'm excited to, to feel the passion in his voice when he's talking about whether Cam Newton bounces back or if Mac Jones takes over right away. I'm just looking forward to it, man. We're gonna, But first, I'm going to get you started with the little Miami Dolphins. I hope that's okay, but we're going to talk a little Tua, see how you feel there. So how I'm going to break it down, if you guys haven't heard more about these episodes, how we do this is we talk about some highlights. We're going to break down some general information about the changes on the coaching team, coaching staff, offensive line, new skill position players. And I'm going to have Josh give you the details, some nitty-gritty 2020 or beyond stats that you need to know heading into 2021. So this is, of course, guys, we're going over the Dolphins and the Pats. The first team we're going to go about, go over, is the Miami Dolphins. Now, of course, we know with the Miami Dolphins, there was that coaching change. George Godsey and Eric Sudfeld are now that co-offensive coordinator. Love to get your feedback on that, Josh, how you feel about the co-offensive coordinator. I'm sure it's going to go super well. Um, They did have some uh, changes up front as well. They brought over the Ravens center, Matt Skura, to come over to play. He was last year's 34-ranked PFF center. So average, at least he's startable in some sense, but he's just outside that top 32. Might be a little bit of a problem from there. But they also brought over G.J. Fluker to be their swing tackle to back up their two picks from last year. So a lot of youth on this offensive line, kind of growing with Tua. That could be a good thing or bad thing. Would love to get your thought on that. And we're also got – they drafted a guy in the second round, Liam Eichenberg. Now, Josh, you're going to learn something about me. Sky's the pronunciation guy. He can say every name. I'm the worst. I say everything wrong. So if you hear me say something wrong, feel free to correct me. Feel free to – it's all good, man. I try my best every time. But a couple things that are new, of course, skill position players. Will Fuller comes over in free agency. Got some interesting things about him coming over as well. And Malcolm Brown to kind of maybe be a different type of back than Miles Gaskin or Salvin Ahmed. Uh, he comes over from the Rams. So weird thing about Malcolm Brown is I feel like the the Bill Belichick coaching tree coveted him because a couple years ago, Matt Patricia and the, and the Lions went after him. And now, of course, it's the Dolphins. And then, of course, they drafted Jalen Waddle in the first round. Now they got a rock-solid trio of receivers, so we'll talk a little bit about that too. And then they drafted Hunter Long a little bit later in the draft. But before we even get to the anything there, the co-offensive coordinators, some of the offensive line things, what stands out to you, Josh? Man, the co-offensive coordinator is just confusing. Like, What's yeah. the deal with that? Who's calling plays? Is this the plan to – you know, drop schemes before the game and then give it to one guy to call plays. You know, Flores is from that New England system and he lived in a world where he wasn't the defensive coordinator, but he was doing everything the defensive coordinator was. I don't know if this is him just kind of trying to like assert control and be like, hey, this is my team. You guys are going to do what I want you to do. And we're going to have two offensive coordinators this year because it's different. And under Bill, we've always done things differently. So I... I'm not sure what to expect out of this offense. I will say having Chan Gailey on the way out, I don't hate. Um, I don't have anything against Chan Gailey, but I like to see new faces. I like to see new things. I like to kind of see what's going on. I don't think Miami's Dolphin, the Miami offense was bad last year, 
But with a new offensive coordinator, you might see more play action. You might see more motion before the snap. These things that I love to see in these modern day offenses. So hopefully one of these two guys leans that way towards um, these modern strategies that unlock quarterbacks. Um, So that's my hope for Miami. And as a Patriots fan, it's, it's a little wrong to root for the Dolphins, but I, I like their future. I think they've done all the right things to kind of build their base layer of Tua and continue to hopefully address the offensive line, but have a really, really good defense that can oh, yeah. ride Miami with success going forward. So I, I like what Miami's doing as an organization for sure. You know what's the best part about doing this podcast with just two teams? We can just talk about anything. I love it. This is why we're doing oh, only yeah. two teams so we can get into real details. I just want to bring this up. The Xavier Howard thing is super weird to me. Like, why are they trying to – like, he's in trade talks constantly. This guy's a great cornerback. And then you're pairing with Byron Jones on the other side. Like, I don't know why you're trying to get rid of him, especially with Flores being a defensive-minded guy. Seems weird, especially when you have a when you have a division that's kind of not necessarily that strong when it comes to receivers yet – but, of course, the Patriots made some of their moves this year, bringing in Aguilar and Bourne to go along with Myers. And then, of course, you know, Corey Davis with the Jets. Um, you know, it just seems a little weird they're trying to get rid of him. But, you know, any thoughts on that with Brian Flores since you are a Patriots guy? you surprised they're trying to get rid of that corner, especially because you guys went out and got Stephon Gilmore. Yeah, so I don't know that Miami's necessarily trying to get rid of him. I hear he's asking for more money. And he signed okay. that deal like two years ago, and it was like five years or four years and $70 million. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was relatively big cornerback money. But it was right after he had off-field issues. Um, so when he had the off-field issues, they weren't willing to pay him this huge contract. And so now Byron Jones gets paid more than Xavier Howard. Yeah. Um, and Howard's a little a – little, uh, I won't say words I want to say, but he's not happy about it, you know? So no, I gotcha. he, he's looking to get cornerback one numbers because he feels he's the cornerback one on the team. And Miami's saying, hey, we were on the same page 700 days ago. Can we be on the same page now? So if they get good pay or, or good compensation for Xavier and Howard, maybe they do move him in. They have Byron Jones as wide receiver one. As you mentioned, the wide receivers in the AFC East, there's one wide receiver one. And it's Stephon Diggs. The rest of the oh, AFC yeah, East yeah, has question true. marks, yeah. right? Like yeah. yeah. Aguilar is not a strong wide receiver one. And maybe Elijah Moore pans out. Maybe Corey Davis is the guy on the Jets. But they don't need two top-tier wide receivers when they're playing in division. Um, or, sorry, they don't need two top-tier corners right. when they're playing in division. So I gotcha. um, we'll see what happens with them. I expect Howard to be on the team. But maybe they find a little incentive to learn to the contract or whatever it is. But. All right, I got you. All right, man. So that's enough defense. All right, we did it. We had to dabble a little bit, of course, but let's talk a little bit about these guys. Now, Tua, now the numbers are a little weird with Tua, of course, because he kind of played some games with Ryan Fitzpatrick. So, you know, obviously I have him at 15 and a half and six point per passing touchdown leagues, but in the seven full games he played, he was actually up to 19.6. So a little more encouraging, kind of a little more. Last year was like the craziest year for quarterback play. But that, those numbers in 2019 would put him inside the top 20. So that's something. That's something to go with there. So at least that's encouraging for Tua, especially because a lot of people said he didn't do that good. But unfortunately, like based on the numbers I had, he's outside the top 30 in points per game. But this year, he's starting to kind of in line with expert consensus ranking has him in 20. ADP right now is 22, and he's going outside the 150 at 153. So what did you learn about Tua? Are you interested in Tua as a late round flyer this year? Are you drafting maybe inside your top 150? Yeah, so Tua is really interesting. I know he gets a lot of flack, but at the end of the day, we have to remember he was a rookie 
in an offense that was in flux, right? Mm-hmm. Some days he was told, hey, you're not starting. Ryan Fitzpatrick's getting the go. Some days he was told, hey, it's the fourth quarter and we need a big comeback. Ryan Fitzpatrick's getting the ball. And mentally that has to be draining, right? Like yeah. you can't just be ready. Obviously it's his job to be ready on the flip of a court or whatever it is, but that's not easy as a human being. Um, so for NFL purposes, I think Tua has a really bright future. Um, I think he's going to be one of these guys reminiscent, similar to Kirk Cousins, where, where he helps the NFL team, whether it's short passes to intermediate passes, really selling the play action, protecting the ball. I don't think he's going to turn the ball over a lot. I think that's really what his future is in the NFL is not necessarily a game manager, but a game manager. Plus think Alex Smith in his prime. Think Kirk Cousins. That's my opinion of Tua, but he has a ceiling that's way higher. We might see him coming off this hip injury, feeling healthy, feeling ready to move, being able to move around the pocket, out of the pocket, throw on the move, scramble a bit. His ceiling is high. Um, I don't think he gets enough credit for that. I think if you go on Twitter on Andrew M. Day and say, could Tua be a top 12 quarterback in 2021? I don't think a lot of people are going to say yes to that. Yeah. I'm on the boat where it's a low probability, but in his range of outcomes. But when I'm drafting, I'm not necessarily pursuing Tua. As I mentioned, I think he's more of a good NFL quarterback than a good fantasy quarterback. Yeah. Um, he protects the ball. He gets the ball to his receivers to make plays, and they've built an offense around him that will allow him to do that. In my personal rankings, I have Tua right now as my quarterback 20, so it's not far off from ECR. It's not far off from ADP. Mm -hmm. Um, I like him. I don't love him. I see the opportunity, but I think he has a pretty high floor. So I like him there. And then what they did around him is encouraging. You like to see the team make those investments. Got Waddle in the first round, went out and got Fuller. The interesting thing about Fuller, and this is kind of one of my nuggets, is that he actually, George Gossie, was the OC for the Texans when they drafted Will Fuller in 2016. So Gossie must have said, hey, listen, this guy, you know, this is someone we can go get. Let's go get him. You know, he knows him from his days in Houston when he was with Bill O'Brien. So it's encouraging to see that they're building. That three-receiver set is pretty solid, especially if Waddle comes along, you know, lives up to his top 10 pedigree. You know, that's a three-receiver set that a lot of teams can't even match. Plus, you got a good pass catching tight end in Mike Jaziki, Miles Gaskin coming out of the backfield. I think you're right. I think there, it's a low probability, but he is someone. We've seen so many quarterbacks make that jump in their second season. Um, it could be this. It could be Tua. Absolutely. The good news is they're hiring within. You know, even though they changed their offensive coordinator and they are changing the playbook a little bit, at least probably the terminology will stay the same in some ways. They're not going to completely overhaul the offense change all the terminology for Tua. So I do like that aspect of it as well. But another thing I wanted to say too is George Gotzi is the only one that has any play calling experience. And one thing I thought was really interesting is that when he was with Houston, they had one season where they had two tight ends, had over a hundred receptions combined. It was CJ. Uh, it was the, the mad hatter. Uh, I can't forget his name off the top of my head. I forget. He's from and Texas. Houston? CJ Fedorowicz. Fedorowicz. Remember CJ Fedorowicz? And yeah, Ryan that's Griffin. an old, that's a throwback. Yeah. They combined for over 100 yards, and that offense was more using the tight end. And as we know with Chan Gailey, he never really did. Um, And there was a lot of history with Chan Gailey of not utilizing the tight end. I mean, there was like one year in like 2011 with Tony Gonzalez. But other than that, it wasn't a lot. And I think the one thing that Tua was good at, throwing in the middle of the field, him and and Mike Jasicki actually played pretty well. So I looked at all the games they played, the seven full games that was just Tua, 
And Jaziki was actually the best fantasy player in the receiving core. He actually averaged 9.9 points per game in half-point PPR. You know, the rest of the guys, like Lynn Bowden Jr., actually outscored Devontae Parker, which is concerning. I mean, Devontae Parker was not that good with Tua last year. Now you insert Will Fuller. You insert those other guys. It'll be interesting to say the least. But at least from an offensive standpoint, I think Godsey and Eric Sudville is going to play to Tua's strengths, unlike Chan Gailey, which I think a lot of people thought was Ryan Fitzpatrick and his strengths. But that's how I kind of feel about the coaching change for Tua. That's why I think I'm on board with what you just said, because I think he's probably someone that is going to be completely underrated who could definitely emerge because of the talent around him. It's really interesting that you brought up the two tight ends there in Houston. Um, Cause as we know, Miami spent, I think it was a third round pick on Hunter, Hunter long. Right. And yeah. we know rookie tight ends usually aren't relevant for fantasy. Um, but if they're running his two tight end sets and they're having that 12 personnel out there, there's a chance that he does kind of leech from Mike Kosicki and kind of take away from him and the way that, you know, Fedorowicz and Griffin kind of complimented each other, but also kind of took away from each other. So yeah, 100%. dynamic that I hadn't thought of. Um, well, the other, I mean, listen, I think the best, I think at this point, Hunter Long, you're right. It takes a year or two to go, but also Jaziki's a free agent next year. So they could have just been, Hey, we're going to invest early. We want to play that. We know the tight end is going to be important. Let's get this kid into our system now. And then by next year, he'll be ready to go. Jaziki walks. So I think that's one of the things, one of the most underrated things coaches do. I think a lot of people get overreact to drafts. Sometimes they're just investing in the, the next year. Like, I mean, we saw with AJ Dillon. Everyone got all worked up because of A.J. Dillon's draft pick. Aaron Jones has a big year, gets re-signed. It's Jamal Williams that walks. But still, the both of those guys were free agents. So I think that's important about the Hunter Long thing. I'm not worried about it. I think the three receivers are going to be key because you're not going to see Waddle. I don't think Hunter Long is going to emerge ahead of Waddle or Fuller or DeParker and bump those guys off. So I, I just – yeah, I don't think it's that. I'm not nervous yet. But plus, George Gotze is a tight ends coach by trade. He was in New England, and then he was also in Miami. So – Tight ends coach is going to want to use his tight end. So I think that's another thing that's encouraging about this as well. So that's how I just wanted to throw that in. I will talk a little more when we get to Jaziki about this stuff, but it was just something I thought was notable for him as well. Now let's talk Miles Gaskin. Now Gaskin was awesome last year. I think on a points per game basis, I had him at 14.8, which is you know inside the top 12 is RB 11 in points per game and half point PPR. This year he's going outside the top 20, though. Expert consensus rating has him outside the top 20 at 22. He's going 25th overall according to NFC ADP, and he's actually going drafted in the fifth round at pick 57. So what are your thoughts about Gaskin this year? Do you think the moves they made this offseason are encouraging for you, or do you think it's going to take away from him? Gaskin's really interesting to me because when he was on the field, he was the guy. It felt like a Mike Tomlin offense and the fact that whatever running back was on the field, Flores wanted them to do everything for that team. He didn't want a guy to come in on third down and cue, hey, it's a passing down for our team. That seemed like it made sense, and that was what Gaskin was doing. Yep. And the few games where we saw Salvin Ahmed take over, they did the same thing. It wasn't as if they decided, okay, well, now we have Ahmed. We don't have Gaskin, so let's change our, our ideas. Ahmed did the same thing where he took over and took every aspect of the running back position with him. Um, So whoever is the lead back to me should get a majority of work. My only concern is Malcolm Brown. And I know Malcolm Brown's not a big name. He's not this huge. Mm -hmm. He's not a guy that everyone loves, but we know he's decent around the goal line. We know he's a, decent pass catcher and we know he kind of slowed the development of acres and henderson last year as he had 
30 carries in his first two games as a Ram last year. So I I don't necessarily think Malcolm Brown is going to be this the stopgap for Miles Gaskin. Um, I think Gaskin can succeed. I think he'll probably be the guy, but I have a little bit of concern about what yeah. they decided to do. Nothing. It, they could have drafted a running back. 100%, yeah. And so that signifies plus Gaskin, but everything else they did was fine with Gaskin. That's how I feel Miami is in relation to Gaskin is they're, they're fine with Miles Gaskin. They don't feel they need to address the position, but they're not necessarily happy with it. It's just there. And so he's kind of just there in my running back rankings. And, and so there's a lot of guys that I go back and forth with Gaskin. I look at Mike Davis, who I feel like is the same way. Who's not like an uber talented running back, but he has the opportunity. Yeah. Um, Dave Montgomery, the same way. I don't think he's uber talented, but he has the opportunity. And mm-hmm. so Miles Gaskin falls into that layer for me of not that talented, has the opportunity, but he's not in a very high-powered offense either, but neither are the other two guys that I mentioned. So I'm cool with Gaskin. I don't think that a top 11 finish is there for him again. Um, I could be wrong, but I feel as if he was almost forced into that and – it just—it doesn't seem like that's who he is. I love—I love the pain in your voice because you're just like I—I I don't hate him, but I don't yeah. love him. It's just like, I see it. I can see it. I know. And so we'll, we're going to put you on the clock later. I'm going to get you on the clock, and we're going to do a segment where I'm going to actually see if you'll draft him where he's going. But some of the things I thought was interesting. I wanted to look at just the games with Tua. So we only played six games with Tua because he missed one of the seven full games, and. I'm sorry. I totally just lied to you. I don't know why I just did that. He only played three full games with Tua. In the three full games with Tua, he averaged just about the same. He was actually right around 14.9 points per game, which is awesome. And he was getting 18 touches per game. Like he was like, it's you were you're so right. He was such a workhorse that you have to bank his his vol. He seems volume dependent. And then the one thing I thought was interesting, right when Ahmed started building his um getting his thing going, he gets hurt. Gaskin comes back. They only played one game together when they were both like full time and they ended up splitting work. It was the week 17 game, which I hate bringing up week 17 because it's like fantasy. It's like a bug It's like, who cares about week 17, but they still play, you know? And I watched it that game. That's the two. That's the one game where they both were playing together and it was seven, six in carries. And I'm like, that was a little concerning to me because if, He's not going to be the workhorse to get you roughly to 15 carries and maybe get you close to that four target range in those games. Then he's not going to return. He's not going to get close to the 14, especially if he starts splitting carries with Brown and and Ahmed in this offense. So I don't think I'm excited as much for Gaskin, especially in the fifth round. If he if this if something happens during the preseason, he starts falling to maybe like the six seven range. I might be more interested, but I think that was something interesting about Gaskin that I thought he was good with Tua but it was so volume dependent that I am a little concerned this year. All right, let's jump off onto the doll. You know what? I cheated. I'll Before listen. we do, Bobby, I got one yeah. quick thing I wanted to add. I was looking up some stats here. So you mentioned week 17 with Gaskin and Ahmed, and I know we talk about week 17. We don't care about week 17 for fantasy. Yeah. The Miami Dolphins cared about week 17 last year. They had a chance to make the playoffs if they won that game. So that game was not nothing. That game is worth noting, and that was a game that they yeah. decided to use Gaskin and Ahmed. So maybe that is a little indication of what we're going to see in 2021. Keep yeah, that in mind as we look at it. Yeah, yeah. This is this is kind of like the good thing about going into detail about this stuff because 
you know what? It's just one game, but you're right. It's like it did matter for the Dolphins. And the thing is, that was the first time. Like it just works. Sometimes it works out perfectly. They both got hurt, and they played in their they played like workhorses in weeks where the the other guy wasn't available. So just keep that in mind. I think that you know him going outside the top twenty running backs, you're probably not you know reaching too much. I just think that with Brown coming in, Brown, like you said, is like. Every coach loves a running back like Brown. He does everything right, and he's a veteran, and he's going to be annoying. So I think that anything that in the five six carry range is still going to take away from what Gaskin was getting last year. So now let's jump to the receivers. I cheated a little bit. Technically, I should put their names, but I'm like, you know what? This is like this is like an ambiguous wide receiver group because yes, Will Fuller right now when you look at ADP, he's going as first ahead of everybody. But you hear other guys talk about Devontae Parker. He's the established name. And then Waddle's the top 10 draft capital. Um, before I even – I can start throwing out numbers and I can talk about all this stuff. But be honest with you, like, forget about ADP for a minute. Like, which of these receivers are you most excited about, if any, for 2021? So, it's kind of two perspectives for me. The first one is who would I draft as Jalen Waddle? Um, I would draft sure. Waddle over Fuller, Parker, and a lot of that comes down to week one. It comes down to Will Fuller not being there. It comes yeah. down to Will Jalen Wall needs the ball in his hand once, four yards downfield, takes it to the house. And his value and redraft is to the moon immediately. You can trade him for whatever you want. Soon as someone sees that name, they're like, oh, yeah, I saw what he did in the preseason, and I saw what he did in the NFL in week one. Um and I think Waddle can take a play like that to the house. Okay. When it comes across the whole season, I have Waddle and Fuller very close um, to the point where I don't really like either. And to me, Parker is gone. I, I think he's out of there. I don't think him and Tua really vibe that well. I, I He has the connection yeah. with Waddle. And Fuller, to me, is a more talented wide receiver. I don't think Tua likes to throw to wide receivers that don't separate. And Devontae Parker doesn't separate. He, he's a go-get-it guy. And Tua's not the aggressive throw it in yeah. the – you know, tight windows kind of quarterback. So it's Waddle and Fuller for me. I think Fuller over the context of the year might score more points, but I don't really like either. I have both of them outside of my top 40. They're both around like wide receiver 50 range where I'm not comfortable. I don't know where this offense is going. As you mentioned earlier, I think they have a good defense. So it's tight. It's close. It's who you think can do more when they get the ball close to the line of scrimmage. And it's Fuller and Waddle are both great at that. So um, don't love either. If I had to draft one, it would be Waddle. If I had to lock one into my roster for the full year, it would be Will Fuller. You know, it's kind of easy for you then because, you know, Fuller's going at pick 94 overall. Two rounds later, that's when Waddle's going at 111. So, and actually Parker, yeah, exactly. Based on that, I just tried to see what your gauge was in a vacuum. But when you start factoring ADP, it's easy for you. It sounds like it's Waddle. But another thing I thought was interesting, Lynn Bowden, believe it or not, outscored Devontae Parker in the games they played together with Tua. And that's alarming to me. I mean, Devontae Parker played six of the seven full games with Tua, and he had 6.8 points per game and half-point PPR. That's not going to get it. That's that's not good. That's just not – and I think you're exactly right. Devontae Parker made a living playing with Ryan Fitzpatrick, who just – Ripped and ripped. He's like, I don't care what's going on down there. You're my guy. I'm going to go get it. That was a perfect fit. But keep in mind, they did give him a sizable contract. So I would be interested to see if they think that their thought process is changing on Parker. Bringing these other receivers could be that case, like Waddle and Fuller. 
I think Fuller, I think you're right. I think Waddle to me, that's interesting. So are you baiting and switching people? Because you brought up week one. So you want Waddle to take it to the house and then you can do the old bait and switch and be like, hey, here's a trade offer. Take this guy. Is that the only reason why you like Waddle or is, there, is it you actually do like him? Look, I don't draft a trade. That, that's <laughs> okay. not me. All right, all right, all right, all right. I, I will say Waddle has the opportunity to look really good after week one. Right. Okay. And so I, if I'm in a window where I don't really like anyone, I'm going to take the guy that could have the higher ceiling after a few weeks. I love that you brought up Lynn Bowden, though. Um, in a deeper league, if it's 14 teams, look at his eligibility. If he's running back and wide receiver eligible on your platform, keep an eye on Lynn Bowden. I wouldn't be surprised if he does get some slot work. I don't think Jakeem Grant's going to be there. I think Waddle will get most of the slot work, but I wouldn't be mm-hmm. surprised if we see Lynn Bowden in the slot as well from time to time. he's not a ceiling play. He could be a valuable flex play occasionally, not JD McKissick level of last year, but on a week to week basic basis, he might have weeks like McKissick. So keep an eye on him in deep leagues. Um, I don't hate Bowden. I mean, he's a third round draft pick. That's only been in the league for one year. And it seems like he's already been forgotten by everyone. So, well, yeah, because the Raiders just say you later. They just got rid of him. I mean, it was super random too. They drafted him early and then they just, Hitched them right away, like the weird. same offseason. That yeah, was weird. I think that gave him a weird stigma. But the other thing I thought was so George Gossie, the two years that he was the OC for the Texans, they had DeAndre Hopkins. And I don't I don't know if this team has, of course, I don't think they have a DeAndre Hopkins, but Hopkins was a target hog. Like there was something about this offense. He was at 192 targets in 2015 and 151 in 2016. The next no one else on the team got to 100 targets. So is there a scenario where you think one guy can completely emerge? It sounds like you don't think that that's the case, but if you were to bank on that, probably Fuller might be the guy that emerges 100% or or you think it's going to be like even keel, like a bunch of guys right around that 100 to 110 range? I lean pretty even keel, uh, yeah. but if someone were to do that, it would be Fuller just because he has the experience and I think he's, he's more talented than Devontae Parker. Um, I don't think Parker's, you know, an elite wide receiver. I think Will Fuller has that upside. And we saw that last year, whether it was PEDs or not is up to the listener. You can decide. I don't know enough about PEDs to determine if it really actually led to his (laughs) performance, Uh, but but he was killing it last year in every single aspect of the game. So we've seen him show more than any other wide receiver on the team that if anyone's going to be the lead dog, I would put my money on Will Fuller, but I don't think anyone necessarily is going to be a clear far and away number one. Listen, Fuller last year, 14.8 points per game, wide receiver six in points per game last year. So top 10 potential, he checked it off. Might have been PED related, but at the same time, I had him on my fantasy team, so it was great. I don't care what he did. It was great for the first like 10 weeks. Worked out. Yeah, 100%. But I like I brought up the nugget before too. His experience with George Gotze could lead to some favoritism there because he he was a part of that staff and they drafted him. So overall, I just think that, where these guys are going, I think Waddle, you're intrigued me a little bit because the best part this year, we're going to get training camps. We're going to get um, we're going to get preseason games. So before the main draft season, we're going to hear some things. We'll get an idea if if Waddle is emerging as the main slot guy, if he looks like to be Tua's number one go to guy. We can hear that stuff this year. I feel like last year we were like with blindfolds on. We didn't know idea. We just week one comes and just like here it is. So I think this year we'll get an understanding of these guys, especially in these ambiguous wide receiver cores and running back cores where we don't truly know who the number one is yet. But I think that the Waddle thing, I'm now going to monitor just because of the comments you made. Love All right, to let's hear go. that. Yeah, that's why we do these podcasts, you know? 
Sky told me Josh is going to bring it. And I said, all right. I was skeptical at first, but immediately the skepticism is gone. I'm all in. Let's do this. So yeah, let's cool. jump to the yeah, let's jump to the tight end. So Mike Jazicki um actually was pretty good last year. You know, finished with 8.9 points per game and half point per game. That's pretty good for a tight end. That finishes the number seven overall in points per game. And now he's going at 11. Uh, ECR 11, ADP 11. He's going just outside the 100 mark at 115. So that's right around 9, 10 range. Um, so what are your thoughts about Mike Jazicki? Do you think these additions at wide receiver truly hinder him, or do you think he continue to grow in this offense? So after like the first five or six tight ends, I feel like we're kind of in no man's land where anyone could land anywhere. And so if you're betting on Gasicki, you're betting on his athletic profile. And I will never fault anyone for that because the guy is like an athletic profile darling. He's, he's just what you want to see out of an athletic tight end. Um, for me personally, I don't know that I love Miami's passing offense enough to buy into one of these tight ends. We see a lot of the tight ends that blow up are because they're clearly the number two or number three weapon on their team. And I can't say that Mike Asiki is clearly the number three weapon on their team. Right. Um, and I, this is obviously out in the field. I love Preston Williams. I think his career is probably not going to turn into anything, but if Preston Williams overpassed Mike Kosicki as the number four option on this team, I'd be stoked. Um, but at the end of the day, when it comes to Kosicki, I odds are to me, he's the fourth pass catcher, maybe the fifth behind Mike Kosicki. So I'm not buying into him. I have him at 11. So that's right around ADP. That's right around ECR. He's going to be fine. I just don't think he's going to be one of these breakout guys that's a difference maker at the position. I don't think he'll really provide a value over your streaming tight end candidate. That's enough to draft him right. in you know, the 10th round, right? Like if I can just pick up and play Austin Hooper whenever I want, I don't know how much more value Gasicki is going to give me. So I'm not really in on Gasicki for that aspect of the game. <laughs> Yeah, and listen, this is the I brought up a lot of this. I kind of spoiled my Jaziki notes earlier, but the thing is, you know, George Godsey is the tight end coach. He has a tight end's background. Him being promoted is always good because these tight end coaches typically like to lean on the players they were position coaches for. Like I brought up earlier, that that 2016 season, that big year between those two tight ends. I don't think Hunter Long is going to impact Jaziki that much this year. So I was encouraged to see that. That 2016 year, 104 catches. A thousand yards and six touchdowns. That's between two guys, like two CJ Fedorowicz and Ryan Griffin, not even two special players. So I thought that was notable, especially George Gatsi coming over from New England as the tight ends coach and working his way up in Houston to be the OC. So I think that shows a little bit that he might have some favoritism to the tight end position. Plus, Mike Jazicki last year, like I brought up earlier, was the best player on the receiving core in points per game at 9.9. He actually had better points per game with Tua than he did with Ryan Fitzpatrick. So I thought that was notable because that 9.9 is actually, now we're talking, he's actually creating a difference between him and those streamable tight ends when you're, you're hoping for that seven points or whatever. So a couple of notable nuggets about Mike Jaziki, but I think I'm a little upset when I do these previews because now like I read that information, I don't want to draft him, but I'm like, I kind of like him a little bit now. So it's just like, where he's going in the double-digit rounds, it's like, you know what? In the 10th round, I'm a big Tyler Higby guy. So, you know, I don't know if I'll ever take Mike Jaziki, but Yeah, that came to mind for me, too. Yeah, exactly. Higby. Yeah. Oh, you're a Tyler Higby guy? I am, oh, man. Yeah. 
Oh, see you. You know, we might just become best friends. I don't care what name. I might just cancel with Sky. Except for all the shows together. <laughs> it's be awesome, dude. You know, we get we have to get you on for another podcast. They just did the Rams too today. I think so. Too bad we weren't on that. But Higby, yeah. So now, no Jaziki draft Tyler Higby. I'll change the the footer to that. So, all right. Well, listen, we're good for One now. One more small note on Gesicki. Yeah, go ahead. I feel like I keep doing this, and I feel like you got no. an agenda that I'm interfering with. Gesicki slot snaps. He had 365 out of 623 snaps came from the slot. That's more than he had in line. It's more than twice. It's it's three times what he had in line, and and about 1.8. Uh, two times what he had out wide. So he ran the majority of his slots from or snaps from the slot position. So if Jalen Waddle is taking over the slot, it's going to push Gesicki back in line, which is not where he produced last year. So I think that's something to keep in mind as well with Gesicki. He thrived in the slot, similar to Logan Thomas. If you're talking about the Washington football team, um, Gesicki is going to get pushed out of the slot back in line. And I think that's another reason to be a little concerned. Yeah, no, see, that's awesome. So as a takeaway, I want to look into his like yards per route run, yards per yeah. target from wide versus slot, because that could be huge because he was basically a glorified slot receiver last year. Think about it. They didn't have, you know, I know Lynn Bowden was kind of floated around a little bit, but they didn't really have a true third receiver on the team. Now you're locked into three like legit players who are going to get playing time. He's going to have to bank on some injury for him to start getting that role. But notable, definitely great. That's why we do these shows, people, to give you these kind of nuggets so you know what I'm drafting. There you go. All right, so we're going to take a quick commercial break. I'm going to give you a second. I'm going to give you a quick second just to stretch your legs, relax. And we're going to jump into this little spot here. So first off, I just want to let everybody know that last week I actually bought my first bottle of Bomb Banana Hot Sauce. And I will tell you this. I am not a spice guy. I loved it. I got the mooey mooey. I mixed it in with a little blue cheese, and I actually dumped my uh, dumped my chicken chicken t- chicken nuggets in there. It was awesome. So I, I listen. I'm telling you now. If even if you're not a big spice person, there's something about the banana base flavor that doesn't give it a major kick just enough, but the flavor is out of this world. I recommend everybody go try it. So if you're watching on the show right now, if you're listening to the podcast, go to seekthespice.com. Try Bomb Banana Hot Sauce. Make sure you use the promo code TCK. Get 10% off. Remember, it's a banana-based, not banana-flavored. So don't freak out. I'm not offering you banana-flavored hot sauce. You'll be good. So make sure you go check that out. So, Josh, let me ask you a quick question. Are you a spice guy? I was going to offer this up to begin with without you asking me. I'm not a huge spice guy. I'm a middle-of-the-road spice guy. So I've got this nice pasta sauce that I have that's got a little kick to it, and I'm running low. So I'm going to have to go on the Bomb Banana website, see if I can find a nice little sauce to replace it. I don't know. Maybe maybe they – banana texture hot sauce and pasta, I don't know if it goes well, but my appetite and and, you know my flavor palette is wide. So I'm assuming I'm going to like it regardless. Um, Uh, Gonna have to get over there and uh, get a little get a little sauce. So Josh, last week I did it on air. I actually tried bombadana hot sauce on the on the podcast. Put it on my my chicken tender. Took a bite. I am not a spice guy, and I'm gonna tell you a little behind the scenes. Before I did that, I did a little finger thing, tasted it because I'm like I don't need to be on air losing my giblets because if I have a spice that I can't. I was, and it was legit. Like it's actually very good. So like now I'm, now I'm like, I'm going to send you a bottle. If you don't go do it yourself, I'm going to get your address. I'm sending you a bottle. I'll use a TCK pro code myself. Seekthespice.com. Get the mooey mooey. Use the promo code TCK. Comes out, takes off your 
with shipping, it's like 12 bucks. You get free shipping up to uh, orders over 30. So try it once. You're going to love it. Oh, All right. I'm sure you can Let's see in the start. private chat. I just messaged myself the promo code to remind me to order oh. it when I get off here after. That's that's why we bring people like Josh on the show. And so listen, hey, we get a little kickback, a little help for us, TCK. We appreciate you for that. All right. So now we're gonna die. Now we're talking now talking about spice. I'm glad I did the spice ad to talk bring you right into the hot takes you're gonna bring for the Patriots. This is your team. I am excited to hear about it. I'm excited that first off. Um, you know, typically how I do it, I, I run through some of this stuff. So obviously there's no coaching changes. There was a little change on the line. Trent Brown, they brought him back. Obviously, I'll get your feelings on that. They're kicking um, their Michael Onawi, Onawi from right tackle over to the guard position to place Joe Thune. I know that's kind of a – that's a big one. He's actually very good, but it might have been a Bill Belichick offensive line thing, so who knows. But it's the signings you guys did. I mean, between John o. Smith, Hunter Henry – you know, Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar, you know, bringing all these guys in, of course, with Jacoby Myers, the Jacoby Myers had like a 23% target share last year, which is mind blowing. Um, and then you drafted Stevenson Ramadre. Is that, is that how you say it? Ramadre fourth round pick running back would go along with Sony Michelle and Damian Harris and James White in the backfield. Of course you brought James White back, but a lot of, a lot of stuff. So what do you think? Tell me, before we even get into the players, let me know your thoughts about the offense this year. How do you feel about all these signings? Tell me what you got. Okay, so the first thing that stands out to me, this is, I'm not positive about this. I'm, I'm 80% sure, and I'm doing a little bit of research on my own side here. I'm pretty sure Dante Skarnecchia re-retired um, yes. after 2019. And so, Dantes Kanarakia was kind of the anchor of this offensive line for a while. When he left the team to begin with, we saw the entire offensive line just fall apart. Um, and for those of you that don't know, he was just the offensive line coach. He was not on the offensive line, but he kept this offensive line in yeah. peace. Um, yeah. And I think he was huge. I don't think he gets enough praise. So if you're listening now, Google Dante Skarnakia. Get his name trending on Twitter, whatever it is, because the guy deserves way more respect than he gets. Um, but so now you have Trent Brown, who was with Skarnecchia earlier, coming back to this offense. I think it helps. I don't think it's a huge deal. He wasn't great in Vegas, but he was okay. My yeah. favorite video of him is on Hard Knocks, crushing down the fruit by the foot uh, after one of these videos. If you haven't seen it, go on YouTube. Look for Trent Brown, fruit by the foot. He's crushing down like fruit by the foot after one of the episodes. It's hysterical. Uh, but I think it helps the offensive line. Um, I think it helps the Patriots. I don't know that it helps your fantasy football team. Uh, yeah, he's a big boy though. He's a big he man. Is. So he's hopefully, huge. yeah, hopefully he can help that ground game with Cam Newton and Damian Harris. But I thought you were saying if Dante Starknecki is listening to the podcast right now, we love you, man. We were just shouting Absolutely. you out. <laughs> so yeah. if you are too, we're giving you some love. But let's let's dive into this coach, uh, this quarterback situation. Obviously, Cam Newton is the guy. We probably think he's going to start this year. We'd love to get your feedback on him or Mac Jones. Obviously, last year, passing game-wise, Cam Newton was a complete disaster. Doesn't even get double-digit passing touchdowns. Was an absolute workhorse on the ground, getting 12 on the ground. So, some regression back to the mean on both sides, probably, for both of those. But last year, he finished with 17.6 points per game, which is not great. That finished 27th amongst quarterbacks in points per game. Now he's kind of everyone's kind of hedging on Cam Newton. He's going 29th in ECR, 32nd in actual ADP, and he's actually going outside the top 200 for quarterbacks. 
Um, so what's your thoughts? So obviously Mac Jones, he's a rookie. He's drafted. He's actually going right behind Cam Newton. So what are your thoughts about this QB situation? Do you think it's going to be Cam Newton all year? Look, so Bill Belichick has clearly expressed his affinity for Cam Newton. He likes Cam Newton. He thinks he's a great guy. We'll see what he thinks as a quarterback. I think a lot of what this entire offense comes down to is the first two weeks of the NFL season. The Patriots host the Dolphins at home, and then they go to New Jersey and they play the New York Jets. If they win both of those games and they start the season 2-0, and it's a huge step in the right direction for Cam Newton. If they start the season 0-2 or 1-1 and and then they have to play the Saints and the Buccaneers, that's trouble. If they're 1-3, and that's trouble for Cam Newton. Yeah. If they're two and two, maybe he's keeping going. If he's 0 and four, he's done. He's out, and Mac Jones is starting against Houston in week five. So I think a whole lot of this comes down to the Dolphins and the Jets in week one. Um, and that's really the entire offense is impacted by that. So assuming they play well against the Dolphins and the Jets, I think it could be Cam Newton going forward. As a fantasy player, when he was on the field, he was great because he was scoring those rushing touchdowns. What did we say? He had 12 rushing touchdowns. Um, He led quarterbacks in the NFL in rushing touchdowns. He didn't play a full season. So if he's on the field, he's going to be volatile, and you're going to be hoping he falls into the end zone. But if it's Mac Jones, my hopes are low for fantasy purposes. We don't see rookie quarterbacks do that well to begin with. Um and then when you have a guy that's a pocket passer, he's not going to move around that much. He doesn't have the rushing upside. So yeah. if you're banking on a quarterback, if I had to draft Cam Newton or Mac Jones, it's Cam Newton. Because if Cam Newton's on the field, he's going to provide value for you. Mm-hmm. If Mac Jones is on the field, I don't know that he will. So I prefer Cam Newton there. But like I said, it really depends on how the first two games go. If they win the first two games and they lose against New Orleans and Tampa Bay, I think he's going to keep his job into week five and they're going to keep rolling with Cam Newton. Listen, you know what? I said this for a couple of years with Tom Brady. Everyone was talking about Tom Brady being washed up. I'm like, have you looked at the supporting cast? And listen, I know you're a past fan, and I apologize. I just think we're going to be, I'm going to ruin our friendship here. But what they did to that receiving core was absolutely disgusting. I mean, Jacoby Myers last year was getting a 23% target share. That's higher than Tyreek Hill, people. I'm not joking. I had to look this up. He was 21st in target share last year. Then it's Damari Bird. Whatever Nikhil Harry is these days, a bunch of rookie tight ends, Ryan Izzo. We're talking about, I mean, like, are you like, how do you expect Cam Newton, who's not a great quarterback in general, to do anything with that? Now you bring in, listen, I know Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne aren't any world beaters, but they're professional, they're veteran, they're starting caliber receivers in the NFL. Then you get Johnu Smith and Hunter Henry, who are better. The, the, the five guys that are going to put on the field are better than anything they had last year. So there I already see that improvement for Cam. Cam, listen, he's, I don't expect him to elevate anybody's talent around him, but I expect him to be more league average when it comes to passing because he's going to have players who can get open, players that people have to respect. You don't just have to stack the box knowing he can't do anything downfield. It's just – it was ridiculous. So I, I, I'm actually buying Cam Newton as a like a late rate lounge fire because of that rushing – we talk about this all the time. You know, if he was 10 years younger, we talk about these rushing quarterbacks. They're like a gold mine. If Taysom Hill wins the starting job, he's like a great sleeper quarterback. Cam Newton is a one of the best rushing quarterbacks of our generation. Last year he had 12 rushing touchdowns. Like, take the last, last round flyer. Worst case scenario, you're drafting him in the last round. I mean, he's going outside the top 200. 
So I just think that for me, because of that rushing thing, I would even as QB2, throw him on the bench. See how those first two weeks go. Because if Cam Newton improves as a passer on top of that rushing baseline, you just hit probably a top 12, up top 12 quarterback because of that. And that's what I feel about Cam Newton. I know. I'm sorry, man. No, I'm with like, you. No, no, no. I'm with you. Crazy. So if you look behind me, you'll see the Brady jersey. Yeah. Also, I have Rodney Harrison and I have Richard Seymour, who are all Patriots legends. I think they're all in the Patriots Hall of Fame. The only other Patriots jersey I have, I ordered on draft night as soon as he was drafting. It was Nikhil Harry. And, oh, man. I'm sorry. Man, I've never been more disappointed in myself. Um, oh. I was three out of four Harry. is not bad. Three out of four is not bad. Those are three great jerseys. You're due for a bad one. You're due That's for a fair. bad one. That's fair. It's really going to be uh, replaced pretty quickly with a Rashad Bateman or Javante Williams jersey uh, okay. if, right. if they – outperform Nikhil Harry. But yeah, when we talk about Cam Newton, I agree, dude. The best thing about late round draft picks is you want to know what you have early. And with Cam Newton, if they win week one, you know what you have. You have a guy that's going to start the next three weeks and probably going to put up top 15 quarterback numbers, like you mentioned. So yeah, I'm in on drafting Cam Newton. I wouldn't get your hopes sky high, but when you're going to build up produce, that's it. Listen, it makes you feel better. I have a Jesse Palmer Giants jersey. Yeah, The Bachelor. The Bachelor, I have his Giants jersey because I hated Kerry Collins as a kid. So if that makes you feel better for Nikhil Harry, I don't even just play a game. Yeah, so I, I know something about bad jerseys, so it's totally fine. I got you back. That helps a lot. <laughs> I know. Let's talk Damian Harris. Uh, so Damian Harris last year kind of finally emerged. Sony Michelle was dealing with a lot of injuries. Um, and I think kind of James White's role was, you know, of course he's always limited to just a passing game role for the most part, but – because of that offensive style, it kind of worked perfectly. That smash mouth with Cam Newton and Damian Harris. And he actually showed some flashes. He didn't, you know, overall 8.9 points per game, finishes the RB39 in points per game, which is nothing special, but at least he showed some flashes. Uh, currently, he's going right around 30. So ECR 29. He's going at ADP 35 for running backs, but that's 93rd overall. So that's about round 8, 9 range. So tell me what you got on Damian Harris. Are you feeling him this year? What are your thoughts on Damian? Depending on your league, for, league format, I am feeling Damian Harris. Um, I think he's the lead guy in New England, which, as we know, might not mean that much. Um, and as we mentioned before, it kind of depends on who the quarterback is. Because if it's Cam Newton, yeah. you know, a lot of that goal line work is going to go to Cam Newton, which sucks for Damian Harris, right? Um, and if it's Mac Jones, I think a lot of the passing down work is going to go to James White. So he's kind of stuck in the middle. Um, I will say in non PPR leagues, I have Damian Harris as a running back too. I have him at 22. If you're playing in that standard league, as they still say, even though most leagues aren't standard leagues anymore, I think he's there for you in a good value. And in PPR leagues, I do have him around that same spot. Um, I think he can return value. I, I just don't know what his upside is because he's not going to be the pass catcher. And if he's not getting the end zone work with Cam Newton playing, you're banking on him getting 90 yards on the ground to return value. So there's a little bit of concern week to week. Um, and just hoping you get the right week on a touchdown. As a flex play, he's fine, but he's a guy that's going to kind of make you sweat. And you're going to be sitting there in the third quarter at four o'clock being like, man, I need a Damian Harris touchdown. If he falls in, he can pull pull it out for the week for you. Um, I think he's the by far the most talented back on this team. I don't know what Sir Michelle is going to be on the roster. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And Ramondre Stevenson, I don't love the talent. I, I don't really agree with that draft pick in general. Um, so I'm not really in on Stevenson. So if out of this backfield, it's Harrison White, and that's it. I wouldn't be surprised if Michelle's gone by the start of the season either. I know with the Rams news, a lot of people have talked about Michelle possibly going to L.A. I don't think that's probable, but I do think there's a chance that he's gone before the end of the year. And if he's not, yeah. it's, it's not unlike Bill Belichick to just push him to the bench and say, you're out of here, Sony, we're rolling Damian. You know, and listen, so my thing with Damian, so I took a look at this because I knew the narrative is that Cam Newton, yes, he's the goal line back. So I wanted to take a look. So I actually looked at the – from 2011. The good news is we have so many years of Cam Newton. And listen, CMC kind of throws a wrench in a lot of things because he did play two years with CMC, and he actually used him a lot. And CMC in 2018 was a monster. So I actually, for the sake of this argument, just took those years out because I don't even think it counts. So I looked at the Jonathan Stewart, Mike Tolbert, you know, the half fullback years, also like D'Angelo Williams years. So for that, for those seasons, typically a running back averaged about 151 points at RB25 last year, and then about 10.6 points per game and half point. That's RB28. So the average finish, and listen, running back scoring has kind of gone up over the years. I totally get that. But the average finish per season over those years was 22 and a half. So it was a top 24 running back. So Jonathan Stewart, you know, those Jonathan Stewart actually had two years where he actually was well inside the top 20. So I, I understand that, you know, when I was looking at this, I'm like, his current ADP is like 35 range, maybe even close to 38 for running backs. You know, I think he can give you some value there. Um, I think that this offensive line is going to be good. I think they do bring back they bring back most of their stars. Actually, four out of five, technically one guy switching spots. And then Trent Brown, if he can get anything like he was in New England, you have a good line. So I think for me, I just think Damian Harris with Cam Newton, he's going to have open running lanes. They're going to be committed to the run because of Cam Newton. But I also see this history where he's not going to probably have top 15 upside, but he's going to be a low-end RB2. And when you're drafting a guy in the ninth round, that's fine, especially if you've – let's say you're not a heavy RB guy early and you get Tyree Kill and you get Stephon Diggs in the turn. And now you're dealing with a bunch of the RB dead zone, which I don't know if you believe it or not. I, you know, I digress. But now you're looking at Damian Harris as like your RB two three. I think you could do. I think you could do worse than Damian Harris. I agree. I do think you could do worse. And so you mentioned, you know, with Cam Newton, you're talking around like the running back twenty four. To put mm-hmm. in perspective, last year in PPR, what I have put up in front of me, that's like the Miles Sanders, that's the J.K. Dobbins, the Chase Edmonds, the James Connors. David Johnson's of the world, and you've got those guys in the ninth round. It's not a bad return. Yeah, uh, it's, not. it's not the upside you're looking for, but it's a great bye week villain. So I, like I said, I don't hate Damian Harris. There's also a situation where Bill Belichick he gets in his doghouse and he's gone. I don't think the probability yeah. of that is high, but that's always something to keep in mind with Bill Belichick. So uh, I like Damian as ADP. Um, when it comes down to draft strategy, we'll talk about this when I'm on the clock later, but I tend to lean wide receivers in this area of the draft. But um, listen, I, you know, we could talk about draft strategy. We got to get you out. We gotta, listen, at this point, you're going on, you're coming on another one. I don't care what you say. But the point is with draft strategy, I feel like because running backs go so heavy early that at any point in the draft, you're always going to want the receiver more. Like 
In the third round, you're going to want the receiver more. The fifth round, there's better receivers than running backs. The seventh round, there's better receivers than running back. Trust me, no matter what round you're in after like the first six picks, you're going to want the receiver. Trust me. It is what it is. So you're going to be reaching no matter what for running backs. You might as well do it early. That's how I always thought about it. But anyway, so let's let's talk about these Patriots receivers because – once again, another ambiguous area. I, listen, I think we could sit here all day and tell you about where they're getting drafted. All these guys are being drafted. Basically not. 162 overall, 202 overall, 441 is Kedrick Bourne. They actually have – um, uh, what's that? The uh, Gunner. Gunner is actually rated higher. On yeah, there you go. Gunner is actually rated higher in NFC ADP than Kedrick Bourne, which I don't know if that should be a thing, but – all these guys, so we can basically kind of lump them together because these guys are all pretty much late round, last round picks. The only guy going out in the top 200 is Nelson Aguilar. So is Aguilar actually your coming off a pretty solid season last year? He finished with 10 points per game and half point PPR, wide receiver 40 ish in, in, in points per game. Jacoby Myers, we just talked about his target share. He finished with 8.6 points per game and he was 21st in the NFL in target share. I can't even explain how that's even possible, but it happened and the Patriots did it. So who's your favorite of these guys? Do you think that's the starting three receivers? Though? Is it Bourne, Nelson, Aguilar, and Myers for you? Or is there somebody else you think is Harry having a shot still? What's your thoughts on these Patriots wide receivers? I think Harry's kind of done for. Um, I don't think Harry's that guy. So if I had to pick anyone here, it's not Nelson Aguilar. I know we saw some good flashes out of Aguilar last year. Um, he obviously did what we wanted him to do and whatever it was for the Raiders, he provided for them. Um, my guy is Jacoby Myers. Uh, I, he was 12th in the NFL in yards per out run last year when he had the opportunity, he succeeded a fun fact. If you're going to the fantasy football expo in Ohio next week, come up to me and tell me how many more receiving touchdowns Jacoby Myers has in his career then passing touchdowns and just let me know whatever it is I don't care what the number is it could be negative 100 to 100 just come hit me up and say how many more receiving touchdowns he has than passing touchdowns and if you're the first person to come to me we'll get you a hat um love it on me because I love Jacoby Myers and I love what he's going to do. But Jacoby Myers was an undrafted free agent and he came out and over his first few years, he racked up over a thousand yards. It's nothing to scoff at. I think Jacoby Myers is a very talented slot wide receiver. And the only competition in the slot is Gunner. I do think Gunner is more fit for special teams. When you talk about Kendrick Bourne, I know we talk about him as an NFL professional. I agree. That's what he is. His ceiling is capped. I don't want, Kendrick Bourne on my fantasy team. I don't think he's ever going to be one of these guys you're putting your lineup on a regular basis. And so to me, it comes down to Myers or Aguilar. And I've just seen too much of Aguilar failing. I've seen too much of Aguilar dropping passes that are deep. And, and when Aguilar came into the NFL, he was my guy. I loved Aguilar. And every single one of my redraft leagues, I was all over Aguilar. And people were like, who? And I was like, oh, Nelson Aguilar out of USC. He's going to be great. And he... He's not what we thought he was. He's a really good wide receiver two or wide receiver three for an NFL team. And it comes down to Cam Newton throwing deep. I'm not in on it. When it comes to Mac Jones throwing deep, I'd rather have Myers over the middle. So my guy is Jacoby Myers. Um, I don't think he gets enough credit for the fact that he was 
12th in yards per out run among wide receivers with 20% of 162 targets is whatever that is. PFF stat, huh? I see yeah, what you're well, doing. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking no, about here. I know that 20% of X amount, that's what they do all the time. But yeah. listen, I, my thing with these receivers is I don't want anybody because Jacoby Myers completely dominated last year from a target percentage. He completely dominated and he was so irrelevant. He was 58th yeah. in points per game and he was 21st in target share. Like that's, you know, that's not going to get better for him. And my thing is, listen, I think this is some of all parts. The New England offense will be a lot better this year. Cam Newton will be better because of it. I think that's more scoring opportunities for everybody. But I think if I'm going to bank on any receiver, it's probably going to be one of the tight ends, which we'll talk about in a second. Because I just think that, listen, they're going to monopolize it. They're going to gobble each other up. Because when I was looking at Cam Newton, interesting about Cam Newton is that when I looked at all his stats from 2011, 2018, I tried to see how many guys consistently can get over 75 targets in a season. And at the most, he gets three guys to 75. It's between two and three guys every year. And my thought was every time, though, it was like one guy would be huge. It'd be like Steve Smith early on. Then there was like a season Greg Olson was a big hit. There was another season where it was like Kelvin Benjamin and Devin Funches had these big years. But I don't see any of these guys completely taking over because – you know, last year with Jacoby Myers, he didn't, he took over and he wasn't even close to the 125, 130 range in, in targets. So I think that I'm, I'm going to look for bigger upside. When you get this late, I know this sounds crazy. I'll, give me, give me Deshaun Jackson because I'll take one week of Deshaun Jackson and see what he does with Matthew Stafford because I know this guy is explosive and this offense could be huge. So I just think I'm fading all these guys. But if I did have to pick, I agree 1000%. It's Jacoby Myers. Yeah, no, I, I don't blame anyone for fading this offense. Um, I did just real quick. I went on Fantasy Pros and pulled up PPR points per game from weeks 10 to 17. Um, and Jacoby Myers had 11 points per game over that span. Keep in mind, he did not have a receiving touchdown in that span. So he did okay for himself on the back end for not finding the end zone. So as you mentioned, was a fair approach. I will not blame you for that. But you know, if you want in on one guy, it's Myers for me. But the thing is, you got to think about it. They had no tight end last year. None. There was nobody involved. And now you got two guys who are going to be involved who are both better red zone threats than Myers. And then on top of that, you had well, Damari Bird might have been your best second receiver last year. You got probably two good. guys. Yeah, you got two guys that are better than him. I just don't see it as a thing. But let's jump into these tight ends. So Hunter Henry and John Smith. They are literally going neck and neck. And the thing is, they both were good last year. Not great, but they're right around between that 9 and 12 range in fantasy finish and points per game. Both between that 8 to 9 points per game in finish and half point PPR. Now they're kind of bunched together. I think everyone's hedging right now. It's 14 for Jonu in ECR, 16 for Hunter Henry. But ironically, it's inverse. It's flipped for ADP on NFC. It's actually Hunter Henry going at 15 Janu at 16. So experts think it's Janu. The people think it's Hunter. Tell me what you think, Josh. What do you got? I am going to cop out and say it's neither. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say I don't like this offense when it comes to tight ends. Like we talked to Gasicki earlier. Um, it, that's their one path to glory is the fact that there's no clear wide receiver two on this team. There's no clear wide receiver one on this team. So if one of them wants to take over, they can do that. 
Um, but when I look at Hunter Henry, he came from a pass heavy offense and decided to target the tight end, the running backs often when he succeeded, when you look at John Smith, he ate on efficiency because that entire offense ate on efficiency before it came to doing on that entire Ryan Tannehill was the most efficient quarterback we've seen in forever because he was yeah. so good with that, uh, play action. And so I don't know that either either of them translate to what New England wants to do and a run first offense. I don't think I'm really committing to either because I think the week to week volatility it's going to be which one of them catches a touchdown pass. Yeah, Maybe John who at the end of the year catches seven and Hunter Henry catches five. So at the end of it, it shakes out to John who. But good luck predicting that. I, I don't see either of them coming out of here with more than 650 or 700 yards. I, I would assume less over a 17-game season, and that sucks. It's not really yeah. looking for out of a tight end. So I'm avoiding both. There are so many other guys that I'm drafting because of upside. When I look at my redraft rankings, I have Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith back-to-back at 22 and 23. I yeah. want nothing yeah. to do with them. Yeah. You know, so this is the thing. I think a lot of people are thinking Aaron Hernandez, Rob Gronkowski back in the Patriots day, right? The Patriots were one of the pass heaviest offenses way back then. This is not going to be that offense. They're not going to have the pass volume. But also, you already know there's going to be a cap, right? So, like, my thing is fantasy football is hard enough. Like, this is like drafting rookie tight ends. I know Kyle Pitts is a whole different story, but, you know, another podcast you're on. But anyway, my point is, like, you know, this, you know that these guys are going to monopolize each other a little bit because as much as you want to believe that they can run a bunch of two tight end sets, it's not going to be like 66%, 70%. That's not how it works. Like even the most heavy two tight end sets teams are like 30, 40% at the most, like the Eagles when they only had Ertz and Goddard a couple of years ago. And how There's many st- of those two tight end sets are run plays? Exactly. And, and that's the craziest part too is that, so there's still going to be predominantly three wide. Why would they bring in Bourne and Nelson Aguilar if that wasn't going to be the case? That's the best way to run offenses in the NFL right now. So I agree. They're going to eat each other up. Plus, there's guys that – so let's say this. Oh, yeah. Am I putting you on the clock for that one? Yeah, yeah. I'm putting you on the clock. So we'll get you on the clock. I got a couple tight ends we'll talk about. So you know what? Let's do it. Let's get it. You got anything else you want to add for the Patriots? Nah, I mean, on. at the end of the day, I have them both at 22, 23. I think realistically they both finish between 15 and 18. I think they finish higher than I have them ranked. But if I'm drafting, I'm not drafting for tight end 15 to 18, right? I'm drafting oh, for not. a top eight to 10 option. And I don't think either of those are going to shake out there. So when I look at my draft rankings, they're lower than my actual projected finish. So I did want to kind of caveat that at the end of the day. Okay. So you think they might finish 15, 16, but you're just like, you know what? If my people are looking at my rankings – I don't even want a crazy scenario where somehow they're looking at the 15, 16 tight end because they're capped. You know, there's no shot. What at tight value end does that add you at tight end 15? Nah, Odds yeah. are you're starting 12 tight ends across your entire league. Yeah. So tight end 15 doesn't help you at all. I'd rather shoot yeah. for upside. 100%. All right. So let's go on the clock here. We've got a couple of good names here. First off is Miles Gaskin. Miles Gaskin is going in the fifth round currently. He's going behind some good receivers. It's kind of what we talked about a little bit earlier because fifth round receivers, Tyler Lockett, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Kenny Galladay, all going right around Miles Gaskin. Also, a, a nice little tight end named Kyle Pitts is going according to NFC ADP in this area. Another running back is Kareem Hunt. So now you're on the clock in the fifth round. Are you pulling the trigger on Miles Gaskin or are you pivoting to another receiver in this range? 
So first off, I'm out on pits at this ADP. That's not for me. Um, I think okay. drafting him had a ceiling there. So when it comes to Miles Gaskin among the running backs, I prefer Kareem Hunt. I think he was more consistent. Um, even with and without Chubb, those splits were really similar, like 13 points per game, I think, in PPR formats. I'm not positive. This is off the rip, but they were really close with and without Hunt. He'd be a great flex, solid play. However, you mentioned Tyler Lockett. Um, I love Tyler Lockett. I, I was all in on Tyler Lockett last year. My work password at work, I had to create a new one. And it was like, Tyler Lockett is going to be freaking awesome. But uh, obviously that's not the actual password, but I was all in and I, whatever my, um, you know, little propaganda was, he met that expectation. So we're in on Tyler Lockett. Look, we talk about weekly volatility with Tyler Lockett. Every wide receiver is volatile. Yeah, he had some really bad weeks, but so did Russ and so did DK Metcalf. So I would much prefer shooting for Tyler Lockett and going that route as a flex play than Miles Gask in my flex. Because in my flex, I want the ceiling on a week-to-week basis. So on the clock, Lockett over Gaskin. Love it. And me and actually interesting that you just said you love Tyler Lockett. I just got into Sky. Sky actually had him as his bust in that division. And I was like, dude, in the fifth round, and it's all because of this recency bias stuff. Like 2020, he was very inconsistent. Yes, he was. But in 2019 and 2018, he was top 10 in consistency. So it's just like, you know, and he was a top 15 receiver every year. And now he's going wide receiver 25. God bless you. All right. Next up, we're going to do Will Fuller. Now, I I already kind of think we should skip this one because we already know you're going to pass. So we're going to pass. You're on the clock. You say no to Will Fuller. On to the next guy. So the next guy we're going to do. Yeah, so speeding things up. Damian Harris, our eighth round I have him going. Some interesting players in this range are like LaVisca Chenault, uh, Will Fuller, same guy we know you're going to pass on. Curtis Samuel is another player going in this range. Joe Burrow at quarterbacks going right around this. Leonard Fournette and Noah Fant. So in the eighth round, I mean, I already kind of have a feeling, but in the eighth round, you're pulling the trigger. You're on the clock with Damian Harris. Yeah, so for me, among running backs, I much prefer Harris over Leonard Fournette. I have very grave concerns with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers backfield. When it comes to wide receivers, you mentioned Will Ford. Did you mention Tyler Boyd, or did I just make that up? No, I did not. I'm sorry, man. I'm missing Joe Burrow, but it's uh, Will Fuller, Samuel, and LaVisca Chanel. Yeah. Okay. So out of those guys, it's Damian Harris for me. Um, I will take Harris there unless I drafted the way I'd like to, which is to draft running backs early. Um, In a vacuum, I prefer Damian Harris over all of those guys. I'm not huge on Shane out this year because Urban Meyer scares me. I I don't know what to expect from him. So I'll take Damian Harris and kind of the floor at running back production for Harris. Yeah, I agree. I'm on board with that. All right. So last one is the tight ends. Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry going right next to each other. Now, listen, I like this because me and you are on the same page with Tyler Higby. Higby's now gone. He's not even available in this range. So we're talking about Irv Smith, Evan Ingram, Adam Troutman, which is an interesting sleeper. You also have Cole Komet around this range and Rob Gronkowski. So it, let's say, for example, you've lost your mind. You didn't drive Tyler Higby. Let's say, let's say for a weird reason you didn't. Now you have no tight end. You're in the 12th round. Are you, who are you pulling the trigger? You're on the clock. Which tight end are you looking at in this round? So first I want to disclose that I have Tyler Higby. <laughs> I have Tyler Higby as my tight end nine. I love Tyler Higby. Yeah. I've got him ahead of Gasicki and those other two Patriots tight ends. Oh, yeah. uh, of the guys you mentioned, I do have Irv Smith ranked the highest. Um, 
I think he has the best path to volume and touchdowns because I don't think Adam Thielen's going to have that touchdown throw that we saw from him last year. I think Irv Smith has a great path that year. But, man, Adam Trotman is tempting. Um, it is. It's so, so tempting. tempting. So because tempting. when we talk about these breakout tight ends, like I mentioned, it comes down to the fact that there's no wide receiver, too. When you look at Minnesota, no. they have Adam Thielen, who is established. He's not just going to disappear. When you look at New Orleans, it's Traquan Smith, it's Mark West Calloway. Um, on the clock right now, I'm going to move Adam Trotman ahead of Herb Smith in my rankings, and I'm going to wow. take Adam Trotman. I'm going to take Trotman. We're doing rankings changes right on air. I love it. But is, there, who, is there is there any tight end we didn't mention, late round guy that you would consider like in this range? Anybody in your rankings that's super high that isn't normally that high? Um, I think this guy's probably ahead of them in ADP, Gerald Everett. I would mention ahead of them. But the other guy that okay. I would mention is Hayden Hurst. Second year in the system, um, as we mentioned, there's no clear wide receiver to there. Even if it is Kyle Pitts, there's no clear third target. I, I think Russell Gage will get some volume, but I think there's a good chance that we do see a lot of two tight end sets out of Art Smith. We saw that in Tennessee. I know there's not the same personnel and all of that. I don't want to project everything in Atlanta based on Tennessee. We saw yeah. a lot of two tight end sets, and if Anthony Ferksker can get snaps, so can Hayden Hurst. Hayden Absolutely. Hurst is a much better tight end than Anthony Ferkser. So I have Hayden Hurst above both of the New England tight ends. Um, so I'll throw his name out there. But really, my choice would be Trotman. Just moved him up. Not a boy. All right. Listen, Josh, I got to tell you, man, this was an absolute delight. Listen, like you're the only person I'm willing to go over an hour for. Just want to let you know. Normally at 57, I'm like, all right, you know, wrap it up. We're skipping on the clock. But I was like, this guy – I like this guy. He's gonna see. I think it's only because I'm right. I'm going right to that bottom banana <laughs> site right now. Yes, you know? get that TCK <laughs> promo code. Yes, but dude, I really appreciate you jumping on, man. Before you go, I'm gonna try to sell you a jersey. All right, as you know, one of our sponsors is the Jersey Jungle. Now, I'm gonna ask you in a second, Josh, if you follow these guys, but Jersey Jungle is actually right on Instagram. So me and Sky, we have a big following there. So if you guys don't follow Jersey Jungle, you don't even have to go to like buy a jersey but the coolest part is they have these awesome stories as soon as they get a delivery you follow their stories and they sh- they hit you up with all the new jerseys they got they got all the custom rookie jerseys now coming out the best part too is we have a great range with them you can get actually 10 percent off one or two jerseys and 15 percent off three jerseys so make sure you're following the jersey jungle right now on instagram get great deals promote using the tck promo code help your boys out Get some money off. They're all, all jer- like game-worn, authentic jerseys. So like it's legit stuff. So if you, are you following the Jersey Jungle right now? And of, of all the players we talked about today, which jersey would you get? So I just follow them on Instagram right now. They got a really funny story up with these guys playing basketball underneath the bridge right now. It's, it's pretty electric. So Perfect. go check that out. <laughs> uh, if I'm going to go get a jersey today – I don't think I can, in my right mind, get a Dolphins jersey. Um, I think I would be banned across right. all of my friends. So I think I'd probably go get a Damian Harris jersey. Um, I think he has that path to glory. That's some good stuff. Honestly, I'll tell you this. I think the Cam Newton Patriots jersey is kind of like this weird, like authentic thing. Like people in like 10 years might not even remember Cam Newton on the Patriots. So it'd yeah. be something like in the moment we all know, but. It could be not. Well, so hopefully he blows up this year. Yeah, he might blow up this year. We all remember him. He was a Super Bowl champ. I wish you nothing but luck. But, Josh, 
Thanks again, man. Honestly, this is awesome. Before you go, tell our followers where they can find you and all your content. Yeah, so I'm on Twitter. I'm Josh underscore FF. I know it seems like that would have already been claimed before I came onto Twitter, but it wasn't. So I keep that up. Josh underscore FF. Uh, if you're looking for my written content, it's on thecommishbrand.com. I also occasionally contribute to the Dynasty Nerds, uh, which is just dynastynerds.com. I should have an article going up on there within the next few days, but my heart and soul is with the commish. The playbook is the weekly mail that we send out to you guys in the regular season. If you aren't subscribed, um, I know Sky's been pushing for this. Go over to the commission brand, sign up for the playbook. You'll hear from me. You'll hear from Chris, who's one of our you know partners, one of our leaders at the commission. You'll hear from Andrew, who's one of our contributors, as well as Kelly. And let me tell you, Kelly, she doesn't get enough respect in this space. If you don't follow Kelly and Phoenix on Twitter, hit her up because she is something that is refreshing, but she's going to provide some like beer and food takes for your NFL season. She's going to tell you what beer you should be pairing with your disappointment when your team loses on Thursday night, <laughs> things like that. So sign up for the playbook, have some fun with it. Uh, the commission That's the spot to find all of my content uh, for the most part. And Josh underscore FF on Twitter. Well, Josh, thanks, man. Honestly, guys, once again, thanks for joining us. Hour and 15 minutes deep, crushing just the Dolphins and the Patriots team previews. I hope you enjoyed every second as much as I did. Well, I'm out of here. So this is Bobby Lamarco. This is episode 417 of the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Football Podcast. Please join us again later this week, guys. We love you all, but we're out of here. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.